Assalamu alaikum and welcome to another episode of the Dr. Will Show, where I interview educators and entrepreneurs on leveling up. Each episode, I zoom in someone who's dope, and we just sit back and have a conversation on what it means to live your best life. Now, if this is your first time checking out the podcast, this is the Mobile University for Entrepreneurs, and I'm your host, Dr. Will. Today's guest is the notorious EBG Tech. <laughs> otherwise known as Erin Kiger. Uh, we're going to be talking about her book. We're going to be talking about her uh, podcasting. Uh, when, you know, she's part of a crew. So I'm definitely interested in how does that work out, especially when no one lives in the same city, uh, how that all works out. And uh, we'll see what else happens. But uh, we're here today again to, you know, bring educators on. Uh, to share their stories and share all of the wonderful work they are doing. And for those who are aspiring entrepreneurs, how can you take your talents and what you're doing and get out there and amplify your voice? So for those who be listening on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Simplecast, Stitcher, and Spotify, will you please introduce yourself, Erin? Hi, Dr. Will and everybody listening. Thank you so much. Uh, this is a huge honor. And I just told you, I just think you're the coolest, like just everything about just your intro. I was just like, wow. <laughs> so just a little bit of fangirling here. Uh, but yeah, so my name is, is Aaron Kiger. I am uh, an educator who I actually just very recently within the last two weeks left uh, like a school to Begin working for a company. I started working for Swivel. Um, up to that point, <laughs> up to that point, um, I have been a K five elementary teacher, and I've worked K twelve and higher ed in educational, instructional, ed tech coaching. And I just, I love, I have a huge passion for ed tech and working with teachers. Like that's just that brings my heart so much joy is working with teachers and then seeing what we do together trickle down and then see the kids excited about learning um, because the teacher's excited about learning. So that's just, that's a very, very little bit about me. So thank you for having me on. Oh, you're welcome. Now it's awesome that you, you know, left uh, to do something else. We actually have <laughs> a, a swivel and it's, it's one of the, older ones. So I'm not going to get into that. You work for them. So uh, trying to, you know, it's interesting trying to, to me, it worked better with an iPad mm -hmm. than it did with an Android tablet. So I'm just going to, I'm going to leave that at that since <laughs> they pay your bills now. Um, I'm always curious as to how people get to where they are. So mm -hmm. what did you think you would be doing when you were growing up and how did you find yourself in a K through 12 classroom? So it's really funny. I remember being a kid and my next door neighbor um, girl was about my age and she was like, I want to be a doctor. I want to be a doctor. And she, she, I mean, she was adamant this second grade. Right. And I was like, I do not want to be a doctor. I do not want to be a nurse. I do not want to be a teacher. I do not want to be any of those things because I don't want blood and you don't make enough money and uh, like a variety of things. I'm like, I think it might be cool to be like a writer or something, but I really don't know what there is in the world to be. I'm like, you could be a mom at this point, right? I'm in second grade. Um, you know, fast forward and I was, I went to the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, because I'm, I'm from Las Vegas. And I got through the first two years, my undergrad, and I'm just like, I really kind of need to pick a major. Um, I, I don't know, I don't know what to do. Like, I wasn't interested in any of the programs. So I was like, well, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm good at helping other kids and other people. So let me just take a couple of intro to education courses. And I really had a lot of fun. Um, so I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll keep doing this. <laughs> and so I just kind of fell into it, you know, just because I was like, I don't know what else to do. But clearly it was the right decision. Wow, that's an interesting story. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. I, 
You know, there's so many things you could do in Vegas. Like I remember, I remember in one of my upper level classes, there was actually a gentleman who was going back to school. He was a valet at the time. And he's like, I'm going to be a teacher because I want to do something worthwhile. He's like, but I'm taking a massive pay cut, like six figures down to like five figures, massive pay cut. Um, so, you know, that's, that's Vegas life. It's not like that, obviously right now with the, the, pandemic and everything like that but it at the time it was pretty is pretty lucrative to just even drop out of high school and go work for the casinos wow yeah wow that's wow okay <laughs> uh we've never been to vegas that is sort of on our list of places to go um, don't know what we'll do there because we don't gamble, but uh, we'll, we'll have to find something. Yeah, it's, I always said, it's a great place to visit. Like I enjoyed, I worked um, as a lifeguard on the strip for a little bit in college. And I was like, it, it looks like so much fun to visit. Um, but I just kind of knew that it wasn't someplace that I wanted to live forever, raise a family. Um, that just wasn't, it wasn't my scene and my husband really didn't like it. So <laughs> it worked out. All right. So you are an EduMatch author. Yes. How did you discover that you were a writer and what was your process for figuring out what you wanted to write about? Um, you know, so I had, I've, I've tried multiple times to have a blog in which I dedicate time and, and effort to writing. It just is, I've never been very consistent. Um, but when I moved, right before I moved to Florida, I actually told a friend of mine who's on the, the podcast with me, the undercaffeinated podcast with me, I was like, I really want to write a book. Like it's just, it's always been a goal. And especially when I found out um, that you could just that you could, like you didn't have to be some massive celebrity to write a book or it didn't have to be your job. Like, you know, some of the, some of the things that run through your mind saying you can't do this. I was like, oh yeah, yeah, I can do this. And so I just kind of mentioned it would be on my bucket list. When we moved to Florida, I was just, I was struggling so much. It was such a hard move um, for so many reasons. And I was talking to Joelle and Ashley and I was like, I think, I think I want, I think I want this to be my book. Um, like my struggles, right? Because I know that other educators are struggling with something very similar or not anything close to, but at least they could relate because education. Um, and so I was sitting there thinking, I'm like, do I have to write it first? Or like, what do I do? And I, I'm, I would, I would call Sarah a friend of mine, you know, like a virtual friend, but still a friend, you know, I, I, I have so much respect for her and, and, and just really love her message and everything she does. So, and I knew she had um, Edge of Match Publishing. So I was just like, well, I, I'm going to, I'm going to reach out and to her and figure out what to do. And I actually found the website and fumbled my way through and just kind of clicked through and submitted stuff. And I was like, well, well let me see what happens. Cause I just, I don't know. And a couple of weeks went by and all of a sudden I have a contract with edge of match books, um, to write this book. And I, I, I didn't, I, honestly, at the time I was like, this is basically what I want the concept to be, but I didn't really have it solidified in my head what I wanted it to look like. I, I think I talked to Sarah and I talked to Mandy in order to get all of that really fleshed out. And I, I talked to Melody a lot, um, because it, it started with, I want to write a book about me and how hard this is for me with the idea that other educators will relate. And then it, it morphed into, there are going to be, there are going to be men. There are going to be single educators. There are going to be educators without children. There are going to be, um, you know, uh, educators of color that teach it, you know, in the suburbs or, or high risk or white educators that teach in the suburbs are high risk or teachers that never want to leave the classroom, teachers that were never in the classroom, all of these, like, plus some who can't possibly relate to my stories. And so then I was like, I, I want, I want different voices. 
I want different mm. voices so that different readers can read. They don't have to read my part. They can read the part of somebody that, that they feel connected to and, and get the idea that, that they're not alone because you can talk to somebody, but unless you can like have that conversation back and forth to say, I know exactly what you're talking about because like, this is what I did. It feels so alone, even though mentally, you know, you're not alone. And so that's kind of where we're, where we landed. And that's, that's what, that's what the book is right now. Mm. So the title of your book is Balancing the EDU Life. Mm -hmm. Um, You went into about sort of the different stories that are, are, are in there. So when you... I want to ask you about, of course, you know, I gave you these questions beforehand, so I'm going to switch this up just a little bit. Sure. How did you discover your voice as a writer? And of the stories that are in your book, give me a couple that resonated with you. Okay. Um, My voice as a writer, honestly, I just, I want to say that I write like I talk. It's very emotional. You know, um, there's one story and it's the story where if I've asked people, you know, I've I've made a mailing list and that sort of thing. And I've asked, you know, if you would like a free chapter to see if this is something that you would be interested in, like sign up and I'll send this to you story. And that story actually, it took me, I wrote half of it in one day and I was in tears. And then it took me about a week before I could summon the courage to finish it because it has to do with um, like infertility and miscarriage and that sort of thing. And so I know there's a demographic of educator for that, you know? Um, and so it was just, it's, it's so emotional, but I wanted it to all be very narrative. Like, so I just, I described it for all of my writers as all of my educators as just pretend like you're going to a coffee shop I'm introducing you to a friend of mine and I'm, and they want to know about your story. Like tell them your story. And so that's, that's kind of how I laid mine out as well. So, I mean, I think that's the best answer I can give you as far as how did I discover my voice? Like that's just how I, how I like to write. I want it to be a conversation and I want it to have an impact. I, like I want it to touch somebody's heart essentially. Um, and then some of the some of the authors i'm trying to remember there was there there were a couple um so dean gainey Mm -hmm. is one of the authors for for the book and i i asked him specifically because i was like you're so like you have so many pieces so i i did not feel like i could relate to any parts of his story nothing um, you know, I, he and I have very different backgrounds and everything aside from education, but reading his story touched my heart because I saw everything he did and everything that went into who he was, that is now a part of how he is in the classroom, who he is in the classroom. And it just, it reminded me that all of these different pieces, highs and lows, struggles and successes, they help make you who you are in the classroom or in education period. And so that for me was huge, even though we have such different backgrounds. Um, there, the, the stories that I related with emotionally as far as um, similar stories were any of the ones who, um, who shared struggles with being like a new mom or a new teacher with children or, you know, anything like that, because that was, that was my biggest shift. Um, I, I don't want to say I'm older, but I, I didn't have a child until I had an established career. And so I was very dedicated. I was very used to spending all of my free time at work. Like, oh, a teacher emails me at 11 o'clock at night or a parent emails me or texts me or calls me or whatever. You know, I drop everything and I attend to that. When I had my son, I was like, 
I can keep doing that, but then it takes away from him. And, and I'm not willing to do that because, you know, mm. at the, especially, I mean, he's only two, so it's, he's only been around for a couple of years and he's not able to take care of himself. Whereas teachers and parents and even like elementary age students, they have the ability to wait. My son doesn't have the ability to wait. And so I was like, I, I can't make him wait so that I can put my entire focus on them. He has to be my entire focus. And I was struggling really badly with, with the guilt and, you know, with trying to figure out how to do it. And I can't. And, and so seeing that other, other educators had had that same struggle and that they came to the same realization that you can't and that it's okay um, was a huge help to me. Like all of the weight and all of the guilt that I felt as I read through these chapters, it was like, oh, okay, I'm not alone. Like, I'm, I get it. And that's what I want. Like, that's why writing, having so many different voices write the stories. Because I want, I want to help other educators the way that those stories helped me. Mm. And it's interesting that you brought that up because one of the things that even when I talk to educators about these things, I always tell them that your yourself, your well-being, your family should always come for your district. Mm. That is a job. Your students aren't your children. Right. Your school district isn't your family. You may like these people and have a great relationship with these people, but you show up for a check. <laughs> Can we be honest? I understand Hell that yeah. I understand that it is for for many of us a mission, a calling, something hmm. that that we feel deep very deeply about. Right. But the truth of the matter is you show up and you get a check every month. Mm -hmm. And if there's budget cuts at the state and it affects teacher units, they can let you go. Right. You can be moved around. Like there are teachers who they show up, you know, they go home thinking they're going to be teaching second grade and they show up and the principal says, well, I'm going to move you to fifth. I'm right. just saying, like, it's a job. And they, even how they operate, <laughs> they don't operate it as a, a family. They operate it as, I, if I need you to be somewhere, I'm going to put you somewhere. And I just want, like, our colleagues to sort of understand that, like, put certain things in perspective. Like, your calling is the work you do, mm -hmm. but it is not tied to that building, right? It's not tied to that school district. And understand that your family is is far more important and your well-being is far more important than the place you work for. And for, for, for those who, you know, have that guilt, I mean, I know it's easier for me to say it than for other people to kind of move emotionally to that point. But I tell them just drop it. Like I got emails yesterday or today from people asking me about something work-related. They'll get a response tomorrow. Yeah. And I mean, that makes sense. Obviously that makes sense. I think a lot of times, especially when you're, especially when you're new to education um, and really just throughout um, when, especially when you're working with the children, you get so emotionally attached and emotionally involved. Um, but Heidi Carr um, wrote a story for the book and she said, you are replaceable. And, you know, it, it, it comes down to you are, it's so emotional and it's so personal for you and it's, it's emotional and it's personal for the kids too. Like I'm not taking that away, but um, the higher up you go, the less personal and the less emotional it is and the more it's just business. And so you have to take that into consideration because you're replaceable for your job. You are not replaceable for your friends and your family and the people that love you 
not because of your job. Yes, yes. Hey, teachers, take that from this podcast. Just <laughs> let it marinate and wash over you. Uh, I love that gym right there. Yeah. So what would you say is the essential pain point for your book? Just how much in education, it, and it really doesn't matter what role you play, um, but everything that is asked of you and by others and by yourself um, and how emotionally attached you get to the job and how it's, it's impossible to, to balance equally the work, the calling and what you need to give your family and, and how, um, and how painful it can be at various points in your life. Um, and really how lonely it can feel depending on, depending on where you are and what you're doing and how you're choosing to grow. Like I know one of the biggest things for me when I moved to Florida is I was still watching my friends, um, back in Vegas uh, and they were successful and they were doing amazing things. And then I was watching, looking at strangers and it was all on social media. And I was like beating myself up and I was just playing the comparison game. And I was like, I can't do that. Like, I can't do that. I, I don't know the people in my school. I, I can't, I can't find the time to do these things. And so it hurt and I felt like a failure. And so I needed a way to find out that I wasn't and that other people had had the same struggles. So let's jump into podcasting. Mm -hmm. uh, my favorite medium uh, <laughs> for sort of ed entertainment outside of uh, movies and TV. Of course. So in addition to being a writer, you also are a podcaster. So what drew you to podcasting? <laughs> well, it's really funny. So Joelle, um, Joelle, Ashley, and I, the three of us, we used to work um, at a school together. And we all three left. Um, but we really enjoyed working together still. We would present at conferences and that sort of thing. And one, Ashley, I had my son in July and Ashley had her, um, her daughter in April. So they're just a few months apart. And so, um, you know, they were, they were a few months old and Joelle says, do you guys want to do a podcast together? And it was kind of a way for us to continue to work together. Um, when we couldn't do conferences and when we couldn't, we couldn't see each other on a daily basis. We were already talking most days together, just kind of debriefing on how the day went. Um, so it was just a way to continue that, that passion for education and to be able to still work together. Mm. So I'm, I'm, you have to be a podcast listener, a fan. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so what do you look for in a podcast and what does that podcast have to have for you to keep going back? Um, you know, I'm going to be honest. So I think my taste in podcasts has changed over, over the last couple of years. Um, really when I first started listening, it was, I just need a recognizable name because I, I, because I don't, I don't know enough, right? Like, I don't know what to listen for. I don't know who these people are. I don't know. There's so many to choose from. I just need a name that I recognize. Um, and now it's kind of become, I want to hear about stories. I want to hear about um, some, some, different, like I, I want to learn. I want to use podcasts to learn. And then I love listening to podcasts where they talk about like policy change and things, things that feels like I would have no, there's like no way that I could impact this. If I can at least be listening 
and educate myself, then at some point in the future, if there's a chance that I could have an impact on that, then I've listened to some of those really brilliant educators and I feel comfortable and confident in the opinion I've formed based on those conversations. Um, and so then maybe I can do something for the betterment of education. So as you mentioned earlier, the, uh, your other two co-hosts, mm -hmm. uh, you are one of three founders and hosts of the Under Caffeinated podcast. Yes. I'm just curious. I do this thing on my own. So <laughs> um, I've done some webinars with other people before. And as always for me is how, how do you give and uh, provide sort of that space so someone else can shine and you sort of still do your thing. And you are sharing <laughs> this platform with two other people. <laughs> so like how, how does that work out? And how did this podcast come about? So not only just from this, the idea of, hey, let's kind of, let's, let's do this thing to <laughs> it actually being a reality. Sure. Um, so the great thing is, is we all three are professionally in different places. So when, when we started, Joelle is a classroom teacher. She was teaching fourth grade. Um, Ashley is a fifth grade teacher, but she teaches online. Like before quarantine, before school shut down, she already had two or three years under her belt of being an online teacher. And I was an instructional coach, um, data testing coordinator kind of thing. So we all have very different, I guess, niches that we can draw from. And then when it comes down to it, like we just kind of get together, we brain dump a bunch of things that we want to talk about, or we, we really, a lot of times what ends up happening is we get on Voxer, we chit chat, we catch up, we say what's going on. And then we say, Oh, that would be a great thing to podcast on. And then that ends up being what we podcast on in like 30 minutes later. Um, so there's no, and, and because because we chose to do it, because we present together, we worked together, it, it's a really easy flow with the three of us. Um, you know, it, it, we, it never feels like not shining or shining or anything like that. It feels very easy. It feels like a conversation. And then just because of the place that we were in life. So, right, I told you, Ashley and I had, you know, maybe like a four and four and seven month old at the time. And then Joelle has two teenagers who are athletes. So she's constantly going to games and sporting events and driving kids around and everything like that. You know, our time is very limited. So we decided one of the things that worked for us that we also wanted to make sure was a benefit to the listener was to keep the podcast short. And so, you know, the very first time that we recorded, I think it took us like two hours, multiple takes to get a, a one, like 15 minute podcast. Now we've got it down. We, you know, we'll go anywhere from 15 to 30 minutes, but it usually takes us one or two takes if somebody gets the giggles. But, you know, that's, that's really what it is, is it's just, um, we love presenting, we love learning, and we love sharing. And so if we have no listeners, it's a chance for us to sit and talk and catch up. If we have one listener, maybe somebody gleans a little bit of new information. If not, that's fine too. Mm. And you decided to use Anchor. Yes. And I tried it once and I was like, yeah, it's not going to work for me. <laughs> uh, but it was more so because I was trying a solo episode. I'm not very good at the solo, you know, let me speak by myself for myself type. I, I just, that's not going to work. 
Uh, but I do know that you, all, you know, you bring on guests to your show as well. Mm-hmm. How did you decide that Anchor would be that platform for you to produce your podcast versus uh, using other tools that are available? Um, honestly, I, I think it was just ease. Um, I had I had heard of Anchor from a colleague um, back in Ohio State. He was like, hey, I'm, I'm testing this out. Can you, you know, do this for me? Yes, yes. And whatever I did for him, it was super simple. He got it easy. Um, Joelle had gone to a conference. She had heard Matt Miller speak about it. She was using it in her classroom. Again, just ease of use. It was something that we knew about, we could easily figure out, and we didn't have to spend um, a ton of a ton of time doing a bunch of other research to figure out what would work best. Um, and we didn't have to spend any money because it was free. And it was just, it was, it was there, it was available, we knew about it, and it worked. You know, like, if I think, I think maybe if the first couple of episodes, we'd had a bunch of glitches, we probably would have found something different. But because it worked for us, that's, that's what we kept kept with Mm. so this is my sixth season uh with my podcast and congratulations thank you alhamdulillah and in the beginning of my journey there were some but not to where there are now so we've seen a lot of growth Mm. in educators coming out with a podcast why do you think so many educators have taken to podcasting. Um, I believe that, uh, I think that a lot of, a lot of educators think that they're doing great things and, and they are right. And so I think the idea is I want to share this, right? Cause there, there are teachers who are just like, I do not want to talk to adults. Don't, don't want to do it. Don't want to, no PD, no judgment, no nothing. I just want to be with the kids. Right. So podcasting gives them a voice to say like what they're doing or give some, you know, share some experiences because then if there is judgment, I don't know about it. Right. Like people can just listen. Then you have educators who want to engage with adults. And so they, they want that feedback. They, they thrive on it. Right. I would imagine that you're of that um, side. And so you can do that with a podcast as well. You know, you can bring folks on, you can have the conversations, you can engage. And a podcast gives you that platform for that. Um, And then on top of it, versus say like blogging, if if I'm going to listen to a podcast, I can listen to the podcast while I'm giving my son lunch, while I'm doing the dishes, while I'm doing laundry, while I'm working on something. I it's it's much um, much more multitasker friendly um, than sitting down and reading a blog, where again. I'm also like, if I don't have time, it maybe I can just, I mean, truthfully with Anchor, like I can record an audio clip and then I can upload it to Anchor, boom, and I can send it out. I'm not trying to be a professional, but I'm like, oh, this was really great. Let me share it as opposed to sitting down and typing it all out and then potentially editing and that sort of thing. You know, um, it's just spoken is, is easier than writing. Mm. I, I, no, I, I don't, I don't write for free. So uh, I just, I can't do it. Uh, I had a blog a really long time ago and I, and I would crank out some stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, once the dissertation was done, writing was done. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. yeah, will is done. There's no books in me unless there's a big up on front check. Then we can, 
we can work that out. We can work that out. But I'm just not for me to sit down and to do it. Mm. To be done right, you have to be consistent with it. Right. And I know that I'm not going to be consistent with it. So the podcasting is the only space <laughs> for me. Because I enjoy it, though. But it's just the only thing that I can see myself, you know, being consistent with, understanding. Because I drop about two episodes a week. Wow. And so, yeah, I enjoy it, you know. Yeah. Um, I, I have likes. You know, I got some sitting. You know, I, I tweeted out today that, you know, I'm I'm getting ready to do my last push before I shut down production for the season. I saw that. And, you know, some of these, some of the episodes I've recorded and some guests I got coming up, I'm like, (laughs) ready in this, you know, close this out. I'm excited. Nicely. Yeah, it's going to be. I can't can't wait for, to listen to all your, your guests coming up. Well, thank you. Well, thank you. So I want to ask you about your favorite episodes or your favorite podcasts that you like to listen to. Sure. Well, so, um, you know, I, I, I said how in the beginning, you know, I was looking for the names and that sort of thing. So Matt Miller and Casey Bell, I, I'm a huge Google person. So they were huge on my radar. Like I recognize their names. So Google teacher tribe is one that I've listened to v- since it came out, I mean, I may not listen to it every Friday, but I know that it's, it's out there. It's available. I listen to it. Um, you know, that, that sort of thing. Um, more recently though, I've really, really enjoyed, um, Dave Schmidow's uh, the lasting learning podcast and, um, the planning period podcast with, um, and that Brad. Yeah, Brad Scheffler. Why did I, I wanted to say Dean Ganey and I'm like, that's wrong. That is wrong. <laughs> they're just, they're both in Florida. So they're both like right here with me. And so, yeah, it's Brad Scheffler and he is fantastic. And his is, his is one of those ones where it's really good policy conversations. And I just, I love listening to it. I love listening to the people that he has come on and, and everything like that. And so, and I mean, of course, there's the Dr. Will show because he's just the coolest. Like, <laughs> really. <laughs> but. Oh, thank you. I, I appreciate it. I do realize that I have a, you know, very different podcast for educators. Um, so it's interesting to me that people, listen to it uh because i'm very you know happy thank y'all uh but you're not coming to my show to learn how to create a bitmoji (laughs) (laughs) dr will can you teach me how to do a bitmoji classroom (laughs) i I really i really dislike those things oh i like them i like them if it's what if you're going to use it to create an engaging space for students online that I like it. If you're going to use it just because you want to have um, a cute background, maybe not. My, my issue with it is most of our colleagues, and I will say most, from March until June did not prepare themselves to teach online. Now, granted, our school, some, a lot of school districts failed to do that. And when I mean teach online, I'm, I, I'm, I'm talking about how do you actually design an online course? Mm-hmm. I'm talking about structure. I'm talking about research. I'm talking about uh, methodologies. I'm talking about, you know, these sort of instructional design principles and not just how can I do what I do face to face in a virtual setting? Mm-hmm. And a lot of our colleagues, they did the, they just tried to sort of substitute 
what they would normally do, and a lot of them were bad practices, um, and try to just put that online. I said, you get what is it's true. Fail to bail is a bad practice, okay? I know principals look for it. I know principals like it. I know they ask for it, but bail to bail is a bad, it's a, it's a terrible practice. But, and that's why you have kids online seven hours a day, because people think, right. if you're not going bail to bail, you're not teaching and they're not learning. Uh, dumb. Yeah, um, I, I, I don't agree with that. <laughs> and no, I agree with you. I don't agree with Bell. Yes. Yeah, yeah. There we exactly. go. <laughs> Dumb. Get myself in trouble. But um, <laughs> so so that's why I don't like the big emoji is because mm-hmm. when your district failed to do that, then to me you should have taken it upon yourself to go seek out those resources. Uh, just like you mean you, you mentioned Ashley. There are a lot of our colleagues who teaching online is what they do. Yeah. And not enough of our colleagues, in my opinion, reached out to them to say, help me. Mm-hmm. How, how do I do this? You know, Catlin Tucker has a course yes. about teaching online, which I purchased that course. So people go get it yourself. Uh, but she is a reputable person. She's been doing this stuff for years. Right. But they went Bitmoji crazy. And I'm like, what does that got to do with you getting better at teaching online? Nothing. All you're doing is now you just got a a, a picturesque hyperdoc. That's all you got. Instead of you understanding fundamentally how do you teach online. And that, oh. That, that just got me going right there. I was like, oh. I will say that I think there are some, I think that there are probably more teachers than we realize who had ideas, wanted to tweak, wanted to adjust, wanted to, to take what they, what they did, their crash course in, in the spring, and they wanted to improve, um, and so they're trying, right? And then not knowing, like, are we going back? Are we not going back? Are we going back hybrid? Are we going back part-time? Are we going back online? Are we? There were so many unknowns that it was just kind of like, and then honestly, like, I don't, I don't know about you, but like as, as a non-classroom teacher, I, I still worked all summer. It was my first summer where I didn't have a summer break. And I was just like, my mind, I was, I was exhausted by the time school started. And I was, I spent my summer trying to say, okay, what are some really good practices, right? I talked to Ashley so that I could then tell my teachers, like, here are some good practices. And then our, our, I don't know if it was our state or our district or I have no idea, but they said the schedule has to reflect the schedule of the in like the in-person teaching and I was like no that's that's no why why what the parents are struggling like the first three weeks of school the parents were emailing the teachers and I was like like I'm sorry teachers you just have to tell them that this is the what's been set up by the district no you know and so I, I I don't it was maybe the bitmoji wasn't the best, but was it a coping strategy to try to circumvent what they can control to the best of their ability? I think, I think that's probably where they were going with that. I hear you. I hear you. I, I'm just <laughs> one of those things because I actually delivered a training over the summer on uh, how to teach online. And I I don't know if it was a Google Classroom training or or school, I think it was Google Classroom. And a teacher on that training said, what about my digital classroom? I said, what? And she showed me, I said, 
share your screen. <laughs> and it was a damn bitmoji. And she called it a digital classroom. And I'm like, because someone showed her, you know, told her like mm-hmm. that was a digital classroom. And I was like, I'm like, if you still want to use it, you can share it with your students uh, in Google Classroom. You can share it in Schoology, you know, et cetera. But that's not a digital classroom. Your digital classroom is indeed that platform you are using. And then how you put everything together is what we're trying to talk about in terms of this is not a face-to-face experience for your students. We have to understand how you put that together and don't, you know, get up there and overload kids with stuff because they're not going to do it. Right. The Bitmoji classroom should have been like a, a fun, engaging resource, yes. but not where you, not the exclusive. Yeah. People just got, I just, I just got tired of it. I was just like, <laughs> I, was like I was just like mute, mute, unfollow. I just got tired of just looking at it. <laughs> just, just tired, tired of it. I, I'm sorry, people. Don't don't think of me as a bad person. Um, I just I love online learning. Yes. And it is my favorite mode. But I am not all in on it to 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 say that is the only way. I understand that when it comes to education, I support whatever works best for the student. So for some, mm-hmm. that will be face to face. For some, that's maybe going to a charter school versus a traditional public school. They may be going to a boarding school that may be, you know, going online or, or finding a hybrid program somewhere. So whatever it is that works for the student, I'm 100% behind that. But in terms of my dog in the fight, I love, you know, online learning. That's just my jam uh, right there. But, you know, I people, oh, I was just so upset. When people were like, kids are not turning in the work. They're not doing this. I want my face to face. And I'm like, you are, first of all, when your superintendent tells kids, we're not grading this stuff and it's not going to count. Do not expect kids to do the work. (laughs) That's just simple. Yeah. Okay. Can we be honest there? If your superintendent told you right now, if you showed up to your job and you're teaching, we don't care what you do, but you're still going to get paid. Some teachers may just show up and do absolutely nothing or the bare minimum because they're going to get paid anyway. It's just human nature to sometimes just to do. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? So, I mean, kids are still human beings. I mean, I know they don't have certain capacities that we have cognitively, but you just can't sit up there and tell a bunch of kids who are at the house and they have video games and unlimited use of the cell phone and Netflix and all kind of stuff. For the next uh, three months, nothing you do will be counted against you. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, I'm, I'm right. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm right there with you. I completely, and, and I think that, I think that there was a huge frustration for teachers, right? Because it, it's, um, it's a mind shift. It's a huge shift mentally to go from in the classroom to online. And how do I, how do I do this? And what do I expect from the students? And in the, and in the spring, it was just, it was too much, I think. It was obviously, because uh, nobody was prepared. It was yes, just yes. a mass. It was a massive slap in the face for all of the things that don't work in the education system. It for sure, for sure, and a huge indictment, in my opinion, on the public school system, mm. who should have seen this shift coming, not because of a pandemic but because we live in a digital world. Right. Um, so, okay. All right, people, uh, we're going to close this <laughs> podcast uh, by asking the notorious EBG Tage. 
before we go, mm-hmm. what is your advice to those educators who may be thinking they're ready to become an entrepreneur, they're ready to write their book, they want to do that podcast, they want to put themselves out there and share their genius with a larger audience? Um, Honestly, I feel like it's a risk, like emotionally, mentally, it's all a risk to, to take a step outside of the four walls, whether it's brick and mortar or digital. Um, but if it's something that you truly want to do, just take it a day at a time and kind of look at it like you do with your classroom. If you can just have a positive impact on one person, then don't like, don't worry about the other voices. Don't worry about the other judgments. Just one person. Can, can you have a positive impact on one person, whether you know it or not? And the answer is yes. So if you can find that, then go ahead and take that step. And the next day they do the same thing. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you, Erin, for coming on the show. Thank you, Dr. Will, for having me. It was an honor. Hey, the honor is mine. I don't do the heavy lifting the guests do. <laughs> this uh, is not heavy lifting. <laughs> hey, without the guests, it wouldn't be a show. Uh, Cause I know I couldn't carry one. So uh, <laughs> thank you again for coming on. Now people, you know how I do this. This podcast episode would be on Apple podcasts. Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Simplecast, Stitcher, and Spotify. I need you to subscribe, follow, leave your comments, and share it. The stars are great, right? I'll check them out. Okay, thank you. But I would like some reviews because I'm trying to be found, and I am trying to get Oprah on the show. And I want her to know that I'm doing big things around here. Again, I'd like to thank my guest, Aaron Kiger for coming on and dropping so many gems. And I'd like to thank you again for supporting me over these past six years. It's been a blast, people. And we're going to see what season seven will be. As always, people, invest in you. EDU, peace.